Well, good morning. Continuing our readings from Leviticus, we will start at uh, chapter 24, verse 17, and go through to chapter 25, verse 18. So Leviticus 24, verse 17. Anyone who takes the life of a human being is to be put to death. Anyone who takes the life of someone's animal must make restitution, life for life. Anyone who injures their neighbour is to be injured in the same manner, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Whoever kills an animal must make restitution, but whoever kills a human being is to be put to death. You are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. I am the Lord your God. Then Moses spoke to the Israelites and they took the blasphemer outside the camp and stoned him. The Israelites did as the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather your crops. But in the seventh year the land is to have a year of Sabbath, rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, your food for yourself, your male and female servants, and the hired worker and temporary resident who live among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. Count off seven, seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years among, amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th on the day of the seventh month, on the Day of Atonement. Sound the set trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines. For it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. If you sell land to any of your own people or buy land from them, do not take advantage of each other. You are, you are to buy from your own people on the basis of the number of years since the Jubilee. And they are to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting crops. When the years are many, you are to increase the price. And when the years are few, you are to decrease the price because what is really being sold to you is the number of crops. Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. Follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws and you will live safely in the land.
Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see a big empty gap in the middle of the hall there. It's one of those COVID tricks. We're, we're getting into the habit, though, aren't we, of um, serving ourselves as we come to church, which is not the best thing. <laughs> we should be serving others. So there was a few people this morning setting out chairs. We had to say, no, 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 don't do that. Um, if you're like me, you've got a lot of stuff on your mind, things which mostly you've got no control over. So how about we pray that we'd be able to forget about those things for a little while and think about this part of the Bible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we know that you're sovereign. You have everything in your hands. Lord, as we look at this part of Leviticus and think about it as New Testament Christians, Lord, we pray that you would grow our trust in Jesus. We pray that we would be wanting to live lives that show gratitude to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've ever met my father or my brothers, if you were ever able to meet my grandfather, you will know that the Blencos have distinctive family features, two of them in particular. Um, these distinctive family features, they make us stand out as different from others. They have sometimes been the source of persecution, you might even say. But at the same time, they give a sense of belonging. There's no way that anyone could say I was adopted. It's like that in families, isn't it? There's, there's things about us that just make us distinctive, make us belong. And it's not just our appearance. It's also behaviours, ways that we behave, things we do, little character traits that we have. Um, so, for example, if you were out with KPC Kids this morning teaching the kids, it's surprising what you learn and see about the parents when you look at the kids. The same or even more so for youth group, but they're here, so that's more embarrassing. I'd like to think that, as a church, we'd be like that too. Don't you reckon? That as a church, people would recognise us as, oh, they're from Kenmore Presbyterian Church. They serve, they put out chairs even when you don't have to. These distinctive features about us that make us stand out. But more importantly, the character traits, the behaviours that show actually we belong to Jesus. We're serving him, we're living for him. Um, what I'm getting at is that we know what it means to be set apart. We know what it means to be distinct, to be different, to be marked out as different. And as Christians, we should have distinguishing marks. And Jesus draws attention to a couple. So Jesus says that people will know that we are his disciples by the way that we love each other. The way we treat each other will show that we're Christians. We belong to Jesus. And he also said that his sheep will hear his voice, listen to his voice, obey. It'll shape us as we listen to Jesus and do what he wants. So as Christians, we live with Jesus as our master, and that sets us apart as different, as unique in the world. And it's that idea of being holy, set apart, belonging to God that sits behind what we're looking at in Leviticus. It's holiness that comes from being people who belong to God and want to live for him. Holiness that makes us different. Holiness, yeah, it will lead to persecution because you don't fit in. But at the same time, it gives you a sense of belonging. And as Christians, you know that you are forgiven that you have new life, that you're looking forward to Jesus' return. They're the kind of lessons which God was teaching the people of Israel in the desert around Mount Sinai. And as you open Leviticus, that's what you're seeing there. God was teaching his people to be holy, to be separate, to be dedicated to God, to stand alone as his people. Um, God chose this nation of people 
just because he made promises to Abraham and out of faithfulness to those promises, he redeemed this people out of slavery in Egypt, brought them to Mount Sinai, gathered them around the mountain and started saying, well, this is how I want you to live. It's my people, people who are holy to me, people who belong to me. Um, And this is how you are to approach me. God dwelt among his people. Symbolically, all the camp of the Israelites was around the tabernacle in the middle. And that's Leviticus. It's these lessons in holiness. So far on our way through Leviticus, we've done the, you know, the really high-level flyover, the really big picture look at Leviticus. And along the way through, you've seen in the first 10 chapters, there's all that stuff about what a big deal it is to be able to approach God. It's no small thing. Sacrifices have to be made to be able to come to that, that tabernacle, to be able to approach God like that. In chapters 11 to 15, we saw God's standards of clean and unclean. Um, it was this reminder that as humans, we're not worthy to enter into God's presence. And then last week when we looked at chapter 16, we saw the whole day of atonement, this idea that um, as you look at it from the New Testament perspective through Hebrews, the Holy Spirit was teaching there is no access to God's presence yet. And now in these last 10 chapters of Leviticus, um, what we see through here is a whole string of rules and laws about being holy. And, And people talk about this as the holiness code in Leviticus, it's their way of saying there's a lot of rules here. We'll just bundle it together and call it the holiness code. Um, but the push is to say these people are to be holy because God is holy, holy because Yahweh is holy. And I don't know if you've you know, just hit pause for a second to think about what it means for God to be holy. What does it mean for God to be holy? I think it's the idea of God standing alone, God being totally other, Nothing to compare with God. I think it means God is all-powerful, distinct from everything else. And for God's people to belong to a holy God like that means we too will be unique. We belong to a God who is holy. Um, But not only do we belong to God because he made us, we belong to God because he's redeemed us made us his own. So we'll finish our time in Leviticus today by looking across 10 chapters, 17 to 27. We're just going to do that overview. Then we'll zoom in on two examples just to get a feel for it. And then we'll come to the New Testament and think about what we should make of this. So with your Bible open, let's do that little flyover. So if you go back to chapter 17, as you start running your eyes down through chapter 17, this is one of those times where, yeah, you do need a Bible with you and it's a good idea to have one with you each week at church. As you roll your eyes down through chapter 17, God tells Moses the only place there to offer sacrifices to him is in the tabernacle. So 17 verse 8, say to them, any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to sacrifice it to the Lord must be cut off from the people of Israel. It's a big deal. The only place you are to offer sacrifices is at the tabernacle, nowhere else. Get that wrong? Well, the consequences are real. Um, The tent of meeting is the only place, and that's where the blood will be shared. And that topic of blood brings you into the rest of the chapter. So from verse 10, I'll set my face against any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them who eats blood and will cut them off from my people. God's people, they are to obey him. He says, do this. They do it. They're not to eat blood. If they do, they're not his people. 
they're cut off from his people. Notice that there's a little bit of a similarity with this idea that Jesus mentions of his sheep hearing his voice. Here's God saying, this is what I want. His people are going to do it. Back to Leviticus, though. God's people, they're not to be like the nations around them. If you then come to chapter 18 and start running your eyes down through there, 18 verse 1 starts, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I'm bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. If you're going to be my people, you do as I tell you to. Don't follow the traditions of Egypt where I've saved you out of and don't follow the traditions of Canaan where you're going to. So in chapter 18, God's people, they'll stand out. As you keep reading through chapter 18, they'll stand out in relation to sex. And you read through there and it's interesting. Some of it's quite extreme. Certainly is distinctive from the nations around. And I would say it's quite distinctive from what's around us today, around our culture, our culture where basically if it's okay for you, it's okay. If it's good for you, it's okay. God goes, no, I want you to be like this. I don't want you to be like anybody else. And then you come to chapter 19, you see a wide range of rules in chapter 19, but notice how they're introduced. 19 verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Be holy because I am holy. And remember, what does it mean for God to be holy? There's no other God like God. There's no one, nothing like God. Nothing you can compare God to. And as God's people belonging to a holy God, they need to be set apart. Chapter 20 then starts listing judgment that will happen for breaking God's rules. If you go down to 20 verse 23... You must not live according to the customs of the nations I'm going to drive out before you because they did all these things I abhorred them. But I said to you, you will possess their land. I'll give it to you as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm the Lord your God who has set you apart from the nations. And if you jump down to verse 26, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. I think you're getting the point don't you? These people are God's people to be holy. They're to be sanctified to him, for him. Um, who, and it's God who set them apart. And on the chapters go, so in chapter 21, it talks about priests, the priests who serve in the tabernacle, in that sanctuary. Um, they need to be set apart. They need to be without defect. Then you go into chapter 22, sacrifices likewise have to be without defect. There must be worthy sacrifices. And then in chapter 3, the tone changes a bit. We're told about the Sabbath. We're told about the, the ceremonies for them to practice, including um, the Day of Atonement. And on it goes. All these rules for living as God's people. God says, obey me. Don't be like the nations around. Do what I want you to do. I'm the Lord who makes you holy. Be holy because I'm holy. And so that's the big picture. Let's zoom in on just two uh, short examples because they help you appreciate just how exacting God's standards are. So come to chapter 24 because here, among all the rules, you get this live example, this example of a man who blasphemes. In verses 10 to 12 of chapter 24, you meet a half Israelite, half Egyptian, living among the Israelites, 
who gets into a fight, and in the heat of the moment, he blasphemes the name with a curse. So he curses God. So he's dragged before Moses, put into custody until God makes clear what should be done. And then look at 24 verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, take the blasphemer outside the camp. All those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head, and the entire assembly is to stone him. Say to the Israelites, anyone who curses their God will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone them, whether foreigner or native-born. When they blaspheme the name, the name, they are to be put to death. It's God's way of demanding respect from these people and anyone who will live among them. God has standards, exacting standards. Um, and maybe that's the lesson to take from Leviticus. Just this reminder of how big God is, how holy God is, how righteous and how powerful and how mighty he is. I reckon our society teaches us to think about God as kind of like one of those vending machines. They used to be around everywhere. So a vending machine where you put in your good works, earn merit, hit the button, and get what you want from God. And if the goods don't appear, well, we start cursing the machine and shaking it and kicking it. But when you look again at this incident in Leviticus chapter 24, God's not a vending machine. He commands respect. He sets the rules. We don't. He's not there to serve us. We're there to serve him. And so the, the retelling of the events of that day, in amongst all the rules and the laws, it kind of zooms in and shows you the impact of these laws, these standards. It shows you the impact on an individual person, the impact of God's standards of justice. And then as you keep reading, you'll come to chapter 26, and he's got the, God's got the same standards expected of the whole nation of people. He will punish those who disobey. God is holy. He expects his people to be holy to be set apart and obedient to him. And at the same time as these firm, exacting standards of respect and, and of punishment, God is incredible, incredibly merciful. And you see that built into all these rules and laws as well. As people who belong to a merciful God, that ought to show in the way that they treat each other too. And so the next little example to zoom in on um, is this idea of rest and relief that God builds into his his people so if you look at chapter 25 the lord said to moses at mount sinai speak to the israelites and say to them when you enter the land i'm going to give you the land itself must observe a sabbath to the lord so that the ground itself it's got to observe a sabbath to the lord for six years sow your fields and for six years prune your vineyards and your and gather your crops but in the seventh year the land is to have a year of sabbath rest a sabbath to the lord do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Every seven years, the Israelites are to make a business decision that just makes no sense at all. They're not to get anything out of their land. It's to rest. It's to be, it's to be restored. It's a, day, a, a, a year of rest, a year of relief, because God wants it that way. And then every 50th year, they do a similar thing. So verse 8, count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the, seventh Sabbath, the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years, then have a trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month on the Day of Atonement, 
sound the trumpet through your land. So this day of atonement, when you celebrate being able to be made at one with God, every 50th, you blow a big trumpet. And verse 10, consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. Every 50 years, it's like hit reset. Everyone goes back to the land that was allocated to them. The tribes, the clans, the families return to their place that God has allocated to them. And when you jump down to verse 14, you start to see how the implications work out. So verse 14, if you sell land to any of of your own people or buy land from them, do not take advantage of each other. You are to buy from your own people on the basis of the number of years since the Jubilee, and they are to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting crops. When the years are many, you are to increase the price, and when the years are few, you are to decrease the price because that is what is really being sold to you is the number of crops. Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. Can you imagine the bank um, sending you a letter and saying, yeah, we just cancelled your mortgage because the bank's turned 50? It's the kind of idea, isn't it? These people, they're to care for each other have regard for each other, show mercy and kindness to each other, not rip each other off, to be kind and merciful because God is merciful, to have this idea of rest and refreshing built in. Every 50 years, the reset button is hit. Everything returns to how it was. God's people are people who are not going to rip each other off. They stand out as unique and different like that because their God is a God like that who's merciful and kind. And you've got that held in contrast to the blasphemer. It's huge. So God teaches his people what to be like. Um, Their features, their characteristics of this family, this people, image or mirror what God is like. Their behavior shows they belong to God. And when you put these commands and these instructions together, what you end up with is this group of people moving around in the desert in tents, temporary dwellings. Um, As you come to Numbers... You'll add to this, God providing food to them in the desert, food dropping out of the sky and landing on the ground in the morning and being like dew on the ground in the morning, God providing for them when there's nothing around. A people holy and devoted to God, serving him alone with this tabernacle in the middle of their camp showing that they belong to God and all the nations around looking on. This people moving constantly, temporary dwellings, heading towards Canaan, the land that God's chosen for them. That's what you get when you put all Leviticus and what we'll see in Numbers together. That's them. Um, What about us? What do we do with this as New Testament Christians looking back on all this? Well, I reckon let's think about Peter's perspective because we've been looking at 2 Peter and growth groups, so you're kind of fresh on 2 Peter. Consider some of the words that God caused Peter to write. Come to 1 Peter, though, so not 2 Peter, because 1 Peter... um, He actually quotes Leviticus. Peter tells us as Christians what we should be like. It's kind of like we're similar to the the nation of Israel. We've been grafted into the true Israel, is how Paul says it. We should stand out as different. We should have this kind of temporary feel in this world, passing through, sojourners, moving through. Aliens and strangers is the way that Peter describes it like the nation of Israel passing through the desert to the land of Canaan. Um, Peter quotes Leviticus, calling us Christians to be holy because God is holy. Um, 
after, so if you look at chapter 1, verse 14, so after this reminder of the sure hope that's housed in Jesus, Peter says in 1, verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil, evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. There's that quote from Leviticus. Just like Israel, we are to be obedient to God. We're not to be like people around, the nations around. We're to be holy because God is holy. He goes on in verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. As you read Leviticus, it's this reminder of how serious God's standards are and how serious his judgment is. Peter says, yeah, fear God. Fear God and live for him. Fear and revere him. Be prepared to be marked out as his people, no matter what opposition that might bring with it. So as Christians, yeah, we haven't been saved from slavery in Egypt. We've been saved from slavery to sin and death. Um, We're not saved by amazing plagues like the Israelites were. We're not saved by the parting of the sea like they were. We're saved by Jesus' death in our place. We don't approach God by offering sacrifices of animals. We're made clean by Jesus' blood, as we've seen over the previous weeks. By obediently trusting Jesus, we're made pure. We're made holy. It's not something we have to, we have to do. If um, Andrew pointed out last week, this lectern has a sign on the front that says, do your best. Someone's kindly covered that up because... If you're listening to a sermon from God's word and seeing that sign, do your best, that's not the idea. We can't. As Christians, we trust in what Jesus has already done for us. By obediently trusting in Jesus, we're made clean, we're made pure. Um, Keep reading. So 1 Peter 1 verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without plemet, without defect. So by believing in Jesus, we're forgiven, we're made clean, and that changes who we belong to. There's nothing more we can offer God except praise and thanks and a desire to live for him. And even living for him is something which God works in us by his spirit. Um, it changes the way that we interact like it did for the Israelites. So if you look down in verse 22, now that you have been purified, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. Verse 23, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable um, through the living and enduring word of God. And then as you come into chapter two, the same theme continues Two, verse one. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter, he takes Leviticus and uses the truth we find there to teach Christians about holiness, to teach us, yeah, it still matters to be holy. It's just that Jesus is the one that makes you holy. But as people who belong to God, we want to live for him. And God works in us and changes us. We will be different. We'll stand out all because of our reverent fear for God. We'll be like aliens and strangers in the world. Our behavior and our lives will change. When you come to Second Peter, the second letter that he wrote, this is the one we've been looking at in growth group. Remember, Peter has to remind 
us the same things again. When you look down at 1 verse 14, it's like he talks about his life as being a tent. It's only temporary. He knows his time's nearly up. And so he knows what's important. And he reminds these Christians and reminds us that in knowing Jesus, we have everything we need for life and for godliness. As Christians, we've been made clean by Jesus' death in our place. As followers of Jesus, God is the one who is at work in us by his spirit, making us change. Being holy, it's not a chore. It's what we want to do out of gratitude for God. I think many Christians miss the thing that's different with us and Israel. Many people miss the thing that's different. Many people think that being a Christian is about rules, following rules. We're not like Israel in the desert. We know forgiveness. We stand out from the world because we know that we are forgiven. And that ought to show to others that we understand God's love for us. Um, Us as Presbyterians, we follow in the tradition of the Puritans, you know, people like John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. If you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, you'll come to chapter 3. The Christian walks around with the burden on his back. And he comes to chapter 3, comes to the cross, and his burden, his load falls off his back. Suddenly he's lightened, he's free. I think for many of us as Christians, we still try to carry that load around. But think about the passage last week in Hebrews. Through Jesus' death, we have a clear conscience. Yeah, sure, we've got a mess in the past, but as Christians, we don't carry it any longer. We're freed from that. We're free to live for God with a clear conscience. Um, Some people come to church for years and years. They listen to sermon after sermon and don't ever let go of their guilt. They just keep carrying it around. It's tucked away. They try to find ways to please God, keep trying to make up for what they've done through their actions, through following rules. They do their best. If you're doing that, then, no, have a think again. That's not what it means to be holy. That's not what it means to be God's people. Um, The Puritans, they've gone down through history, I reckon, as being um, a bunch of killjoys with their holiness movement and so on. But they started out as people who were concerned to teach assurance of salvation. In the midst of you know, the corrupt and messed up Church of England, they wanted the average person to understand that forgiveness is real, to be sure that forgiveness works, that Jesus' death in your place is enough. And if you're trusting in Jesus, then you are forgiven and you're free to wholly serve our holy God. Um, part of being holy because God is holy involves reflecting God's mercy Understanding Jesus' love, showing that in the way that we live. Um, So 2 Peter 1, we have everything we need for life and godliness and being holy through knowing Jesus. That's where it all goes, all comes from. So today we're finishing our time in Leviticus. It's a book that has a whole load of rules and regulations that taught the people of Israel to be holy and still teaches us what God is like and what it means to be holy. And we started by thinking about what it means... Uh, about how we are different, how we're set apart in families and in church. Christians, we should have our distinguishing marks. People should know that we are Jesus' disciples by the way that we love each other because we've experienced God's love. It has to overflow. We've got nothing more that we can offer God 
apart from gratitude and thanks and praise. And as Christians, yeah, we'll listen to God's voice. We'll listen to Jesus' voice. And we'll learn about the forgiveness that we have in Jesus, the complete forgiveness. As Christians, we're set apart for God. And Jesus is preparing a home for us. And so this is a temporary dwelling, these bodies that we're in. We live for God alone, wholly devoted to him. And with holiness comes being different, being unique. Not because we're following rules, but because we want to please God. We want to live for him. And being holy, being unique brings with it persecution as well. But let's pray that we would allow God to continue to work in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for the time we've been able to spend in Leviticus. Thank you for the reminder of how holy you are and how much your standards matter. Lord, thank you too that we know real forgiveness through Jesus' death in our place. And please grow our trust in him. Lord, please help us not to feel guilty when we have been forgiven. Lord, we pray that our gratitude would show in the way that we live. We pray that we would be wholly devoted to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.